What's up, guys? Max here with a brand new episode of The Scuttlebutt Show, and today is going to be a really cool one. As you might remember, the other day I posted my review of the film Mosul, which is on Netflix, came out uh, last month in November of 2020, and I've been to Iraq, deployed there in 2015 during the ISIS conflict, where I spent most of my time at Al-Assad Air Base, and then uh, a little time up north just outside of Mosul, which was the front lines at the time, and I thought, you know, I should really do a full spoiler review analyzing this movie compared to how it really was in the streets of Mosul during the liberation of the people of Iraq from the clutches of those fucks ISIS and I thought who would be a better guest than my good friend uh, and former shipmate brother for life uh, Chance who we served together in the Navy with and he was deployed in Iraq in Mosul in 2017 uh, exactly around the time that this movie takes place so let me bring him on here chance what is up how are you doing buddy oh i'm wonderful always great um and max said chance uh you know been in the navy 13 years friend of max's for 10 of those i'm glad to be here that's right we've been uh we've known each other a long time we've done uh, a lot of crazy things together including deploying uh overseas multiple times you um came out to afghanistan right after i got home from there uh, in the same spot because the guys who came out to relieve me couldn't fill my shoes. So they had to send out an extra, an extra guy out there. <laughs> we had, yeah, uh, that's true, that's true. we had, uh, then we rallied immediately and then got ready to go back to Iraq. Thanks to, uh, the failure of the people of Iraq to stabilize the country. Um, after we withdrew in 2011, because ISIS became a thing rolled through and just wrecked shop and took over the whole country. So we were lucky enough, in my opinion, to go back there in 2015 where we deployed together. Um, and then uh, we'll get into the movie and we'll get into you deploying back to Iraq in 2017 uh, where I almost went. I almost went to Iraq, right? Like I almost joined the military. I almost served. But, uh, you know, if anybody told me what to do, I would have punched them in the face. Uh, so, Chance, why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourself? Like, who are you? Um, where do you come from? What's your background? Uh, you know, I was raised, born and raised in Arkansas, uh, joined the military 2008. Um, you know, I typical country boy, I never, never flown on a plane, never seen the ocean before I joined the world's finest Navy. Um, yeah, I mean, it's one of the best decisions I ever made. I love it. I, you know, I'm gonna do 20 to 30 years probably in the military, you know, depending on, you know, duty stations I get. Been in San Diego my whole career, so I can't complain about any of that. And I mean, all these deployments that are, uh, you know, I've wanted to be on every one of them. So, you know, them. that's a, uh, I think that's like the key, dude, is, you know, when we were deploying together in, uh, in, our, in that last, in the last command we were at, deploying to Iraq, deploying to Afghanistan was the greatest fucking time of our lives, in my opinion. And, uh, I wanted, I wanted to be there every moment, every step of the way. It was the best time ever. And, uh, yeah. and, uh, it was, it was amazing, but you, your background in the Navy, much like mine is you worked on uh, helicopters, right? That's correct. Yeah. I did uh, four years on helos before I transitioned over. And help me remember, we didn't, I, I meant to ask you about this before we went on live, but you, didn't you do a deployment on the bottom Richard? No, I did a deployment on the Peleliu. The Peleliu, okay. But you, was, I'm yeah. sure you heard the bottom Richard is scrap metal now, dude. They're, they're going to decommission it. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. They're going to drag it out to sea and blow it up. Hopefully that'd be cool or something, you know. That's what I, that's what I said on the show. I was like, man, I hope they uh, sink X. Make it a dive spot. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that'd be awesome. Um, 
So now you're a you're a chief in the Navy. You're up probably uh, getting ready to become a senior chief. If I if I am anticipating that correctly, I have a feeling, a good feeling that you're yeah. probably uh, on the short list up there for that. Um, and you're just crushing it. You look like you're about 22 years old still, which is amazing. Uh, <laughs> always that was always the joke with Chance was he looks so young. Um, if you're listening on the podcast, he's just a young looking guy, but, uh, he's grown into quite the fine sailor. And, uh, and I, the other day when I saw, uh, the movie Mosul, I was like, I was like, dude, I got to do an episode on this. I got to do a full episode. So I hit you up and I said, uh, I said, you got to watch this movie, dude. You got to watch Mosul. Did you get a chance to watch it? Yeah, I watched it and like, I didn't know it was all in Arabic when I decided to watch it. Um, but it blew me away. Like just opening scene that, I mean that it had to have been filmed in Mosul. I don't know if it was, <laughs> but a hundred percent. Like I remember those buildings, like yeah. I've been on that road. Um, that is exactly what it looked like. If it wasn't filmed in Mosul, best set design in the entire history of movies guaranteed. Cause I, it's not like you can't fake that. No, dude, it's so true. It's actually really true. The, uh, and by the way, um, this is spoiler alert, the whole deal. Um, we're going to talk, <laughs> we're going to talk about the movie, how it was in real life, like what was so special about it and the characters and everything. But, um, so the movie, the opening sequence of the movie is a, it's like the, the reason I love the movie so much is because it tells you so much without telling you it it just tells you because like as the viewer it the movie knows you're going to be able to like make some assertions based on what they're showing you so the movie opens with this like really incredible gunfight like that these police officers are in where they're in a police station in Mosul that's getting just just ransacked like they're getting totally overrun by ISIS they're getting grenades thrown at them they're throwing them back out on the street they're they're Winchester on their rifles they're down to their pistol down to their knives they're uh they're getting ready to die because they're getting overwhelmed by all these ISIS fighters and there's these two police officers and if you think about it like not just that scene but like the fact that that police station was getting overrun by ISIS there's a gunfight with machine guns and rockets and grenades happening in the street of Mosul, that's like the chaos that this was this city at the time, you know? So it's, it, there, what was the, and then compare that chance to like when you were there, uh, the, the, like the lack of uh, the lawlessness on the streets. What was that? Was that like that? I mean, it's the simple fact that, I mean, you call it, we know it's a street, but just the buildings are rubble. Like there's nothing left of them. That's the part that is the most realistic about it is there's nothing left of these buildings and at any corner, I mean, ISIS, they don't wear uniforms, you know, so you don't know who's ISIS. You don't know who's not. And they were just running through the city. I mean, they did own the city, so they ran through it like it was theirs and crazy so they weren't wearing their badges they weren't wearing their isis identification <laughs> badges in mosul in 2017 yeah they didn't all have uniforms so you could identify them they look like everyday people they they were probably pretty comfortable up there you know for a long time they were they were up there for several years just making making a home for themselves they took over the city they owned it like you said um 
and they went through virtually uncontested as they expanded their their green zone, you know, outside, and, and the, between the Pesh and the Iraqis and the Americans kind of inched their way in on all sides to Mosul, which was like the final battleground in Iraq against ISIS. Um, and, and so was it, was it like, uh, when, when you were there, did you see a lot of Iraqi police? Was there a big presence or like CTS or SWAT? Like what Iraqis were up there? Cause we see the police and then we see the SWAT team and then never SWAT team. So what were, what were you seeing up there? I mean, there, there, the police was there. Um, the SWAT teams or CTS and then the Iraqi army. So it was like a, it was like a three headed front moving into the city of Mosul, which most people think Mosul it's in Iraq. It's a small city, but I mean, I think the population was like 2.2 million people lived in this city, um, both sides of the Euphrates river. Right. Um, so depending, and you could tell the people apart by, you know, what uniform they wore and the Humvees, these guys are driving in the movie. Like those are the same ones I saw on the street. Like this has had to have been filmed. I'm telling you, this movie was filmed there maybe after ISIS cleared out, but it's the most realistic scenes I've ever seen movie set wise. I'm going to look up. So I'm going to look up. Uh, it was filmed. It says it was filmed in Morocco, but the, the city looks like a war torn Iraqi city. Like, I, I mean, for people trying to understand compared to the movie, like, and then describing the city as rubble, was there a lot of air strikes that had happened in Mosul prior to you getting there? Like boots on ground was the, was the city pretty softened up by air? Yeah. I mean, I, I first realized that when we, the day we pushed, or helped the Iraqi forces push into Mosul. Um, we set up on a hilltop, which used to be a Iraqi army base. I didn't know that. I didn't know that the day we went in. And then someone's like, yeah, this used to be an Iraqi army base and it's nothing but concrete rubble on the ground. So a whole base that the Iraqis used was completely leveled before we even moved in. And we used that as our cover um, to support the Iraqis, uh, the amount of ordinances you can't even imagine what yeah. it took. Well, I'm just trying to think back to when I was there and we were doing airstrikes, um, you know, multiple a day on destroying buildings. Like we would level blocks if we could get the clearance to, uh, and it was, it was awesome. It was, it was great. Like the best case of us doing our job ever was Iraq during ISIS. Um, and so tons of airstrikes in there. So the city is like a, it's, it's, it's like probably something you, you would have to see in real life to believe it even existed. And you know, what's crazy is I always try to tell people like Erbil, which was just, I guess, North East, Northeast of, of Mosul. Is that right? I'd have to look at the map probably, but, uh, it might've been West Northwest. Let me look, I'll look it up. But Erbil, was a bustling um, uh, Iraqi city with like skyscrapers and nice buildings and everything, um, and it was and it was so crazy to drive through there in 2015 because they had these electronic billboards up that said like the future home of uh, Palms uh, apartment building, but then that building was half built and abandoned because everyone fled because Erbil was like the last. Um, the last place that 
ISIS didn't get to in that direction. East, it is to, so it's east uh, of Mosul. But but that's where we were. So we were held up in Erbil, and then we would drive out towards Mosul as close as we could get, where, wherever the front line was, uh, and then conduct like you know fl- uh, we would fly ISR or fly drones and try to figure out who was where and what was going on and do airstrikes or support the Peshmerga in any way that we could. But then when you went back there two years, two years later, you were driving right into Mosul, like into downtown. Yeah. Like it's a Mosul. Imagine it being a small compact city built, you know, a thousand years ago. Cause it was, I mean, that the Al Neri mosque is what 2000 years old or was 2000 years old before ISIS blew it up. And then as the city expanded out, it became more modern and more modern and more modern. So it got wider streets, taller buildings. Um, and then it, at the outskirts, it was more like farmland type area. So we were, we were staying 5k outside the city, driving in every day. Wow. And did you ever see this, the particular people who were to focus this movie, the Nineveh SWAT team or other SWAT teams that were out there? <sighs> So I'm, I was trying to think about that last night. If I ever saw anybody that was actually had a SWAT badge, those Humvees, I saw them hundred percent. The Punisher skull painted on the side. Like I saw those every other day. Um, I, you could tell cause ISIS, they all grew their beards. So all the Iraqi forces, all they have was that sweet mustache. Um, <laughs> and I saw those guys all the time, you know, they'd be, driving by with their Humvees with like one of the wounded on the strapped to the hood because there was no space inside. And so I, I would imagine that I have seen them. I just, I didn't know I did at the time. Right. Right. Well, they were a small group, you know, like it seems like mm-hmm. the way that they are portrayed in the film is they were a, a handful of guys, like 20 guys who were operating totally with their own freedom of movement, like reporting to no one. It seemed like, um, yeah, it broke rogue which was pretty common like we had that in afghanistan too you have these militias these self-proclaimed forces who are anti-taliban anti-al-qaeda anti-isis anti-saddam and they just kind of that's like the when i say the lawlessness like right in the so that first scene in the movie um when the swat team rolls up on the police station they're like we have police again now like are, are you guys like what, what are you guys official police or just play police or like what do you have badges you know like that's how crazy it was and lack of structure of government, like nothing formally set up people. So so many people were just rogue mercenary militia style that you didn't know who was who. So there was tons of, um, so you couldn't, they didn't know who to trust because there was obviously a lot of defectors, sympathizers, people who were maybe neither of those things, but ISIS had like, you know, grabbed their family and threatened to figure out who they are and threatened to kill them if they don't attack Americans or, you know, launch an RPG at Iraqis. Um, did, so when you were there, what was your, like, who were you working with partner force wise on a regular basis? Uh, we were CTS solely the troop I was with. Um, some of the other troops worked with the, uh, federal police, which were who the guys you show in the movie when they came through the checkpoint, that was the fed pole that was there. And then no one really worked with the Iraqi army, but we were with CTS and what was, so people listening who don't know what CTS is, can you kind of describe what they were, how they operated? Um, 
CTS Counterterrorism Service, what it stands for. They're basically Iraqi special forces. And they were, if I remember correctly, they were always, you know, dressed out in all black. And, uh, yeah. you know, I describe partner forces as, you know, inconsistent. Uh, you don't, you never know what you're going to get. Like you could get guys who throw down their guns and run or hide behind barriers and blind fire every once in a while, or they just want to sip chai and, you know, do whatever. And then you've got like world-class badasses who will run by themselves into a building and clear it. Uh, totally fearless savages. Um, what, what would you describe your experience out there as like, did you have a mixed bag uh, or was it, were they pretty good? I mean, CTS, they were, they were the front line. Like if they didn't take a couple blocks every day, no one else would move forward. None of the, the fed pole or the Iraqi army. If CTS wasn't out there, then no one was, no one was moving in Mosul. Like they were the tip of the spear, hundred percent. Um, those guys were in my mind, they're absolutely crazy. Like the things I've seen them do and put themselves in harm. And it's like, it's hard to explain. Like they were the only patriots I've ever seen in Iraq, if that makes any sense. No, that totally makes sense. You know, it's, <laughs> I, I remember, uh, and, and, and this is kind of in related to something I saw in the movie, which is, um, I remember seeing a CTS guy run by himself into a building. I'm watching this on ISR cleared the whole building, which was, had a bunch of, of ISIS fighters in it, run back out, yell something, run back in the building, come back out again. And, uh, and, and he had taken like three steps into the yard and he stepped on an IED and he was killed. And, uh, but that's the kind of like the, the kind of aggression, aggressiveness that the CTS guys had was they were getting after it. Like they were making big moves. Um, and they took heavies also, like they took casualties on an unbelievable, uh, daily. daily basis. Like yeah. th they were, they were getting killed and wounded, uh, it, just like co constant, constant wave of them getting killed and wounded. And they were doing this every single day for years. I think that's kind of what one of the biggest things about that movie was, is you got to remember they lived there, right? Like they are, they're home. They're not going anywhere. They're not redeploying. They're not getting any, like, and then when the, when the war, when the war is eventually over, then they have to rebuild their cities, you know? Yeah. hundred percent agree. I think about that, that shit all the time, dude. Like the people that we worked with out there, the partner forces, they're still there. Like no wonder sometimes they don't give a shit about us because they know they've seen us come and go a hundred times, you know? Uh, and they know that like, we're going to come do our job while we're there and then we're going to leave and we'll probably never be back there again. You know, never see them again. Yeah. They, they appreciate us when we're there. And then when we're gone, I mean, we're the ones who did all the destruction. So yeah, we did it in, you know, advise and assist. So, yeah, I, I, you know, I, I totally get why they, would tell us to go fuck off every once in a while, dude. I totally, I, I do. I mean, honestly, I do. Um, did, did you, uh, you said you were, you were living like five clicks outside of Mosul. What, what were you living in? Um, we, we found, I call it a compound. It was like 
five houses, all exactly the same. Only two of them were finished. So the other three were half built. And that's kind of where we set up our, we were on the same compound as the CTS uh, general and stuff. So we kind of shared the base. Um, we used the houses as our command centers and then we wound up building tents to and first First month there, we were just sleeping on the ground, you know, setting security. There were only 22 of us, but then the army came out and it became a pretty big uh, jumping point into Mosul. I think you probably remember um, there was the mansion up in Erbil, right? Uh, you know, you, everyone, I think you, you went there, right? I don't think I ever actually went to the mansion. I've been to Erbil, but I don't think I made it all the way up there. So... I got to stay there for a couple of weeks uh, when I went up there and it was like the mayor's house or something like that, like of Erbil or whatever. And, you know, that's at least what we heard. And it was like this gigantic palace up on a hill. Um, it could have been like a, it could have been like an a, a office building or something. It was big enough. And uh, we were working out of there. Zero security, no gate, just a team of SF and some support living in this building and then down the road, the other place that I went to, uh, the other main house was like a shack that was falling down, uh, again, surrounded by other shacks, like in the, out there in the middle of nowhere, no support, no security. Uh, you were really out there. Like there was no one, there was a few Americans there with no one around to support, um, surrounded by local population, uh, it was really a weird, a weird time and place to be out there, dude. That's what I thought about it. Yeah. I mean, where we were at, there was probably not another village or town within 20 K in a circle around us, you know, except for Mosul and the house we had was probably 3000 square foot. It had marble everywhere. That was a really nice house. It, it had taken a rocket to the back of it. So one whole back corner of this place was, falling down. I mean, we had to we structurally make it sound so that we could live in it. And it's crazy. Yeah, it was a, it was a super interesting time to be out there. Um, in the in the movie, they uh, one, one thing that was pretty, pretty good in the movie, I thought was their description of uh, the tactics that ISIS was using against the forces. So like, they were using civilians as human shields, they were using uh, VBIEDs or VBEDs, suicide bombs uh, in vehicles. Um, they were using drones with grenades strapped to them. Did you see any of that stuff? Yeah, I mean, the human shields, they, it was more, they didn't like hold people in front of them or nothing. It was more, they kept the population from leaving the village. I mean, our, our drive into Mosul every day, there would be thousands, thousands of people walking out of Mosul as we drove in, um, but ISIS would keep them in the village so we couldn't use our tactics or blow up buildings because friendly friendlies were there. Um, the VBIEDs was a lot bigger deal than it was in the movie. That was like two, three, four a day that these Iraqis were taken. Like we would find them and sometimes there's nothing you can do about them. They just drive a armored vehicle into a crowd and blow it up. And then the trigger point for the movie for me was the drones like that, that noise 
I, you'll never forget. I mean, I know what a quadcopter sounds like, but if I hear that today, like anywhere out here, like my eyes are straight to the sky because they were dropping 40 mic mics on us with those while we were out there. It's, that's my, that's my trigger point. Yeah. So it really became bad when you were out there. I remember when I was up on the, on the flat, we were calling it, uh, which was probably 20 K outside of Mosul. Uh, when I was there, they would fly the drones over and we chased one once. So they flew one over and we were having dinner with the, uh, uh, Peshmerga and then they're like drone drone. So we all jumped in our VIX and we start speeding down the flat, like flying off of berms, trying to chase down this drone. We, we never got it. It eventually flew away. Uh, but they were like, had the machine guns out trying to take out these drones because this was around the time that they were starting to put grenades on them, put, uh, mustard gas, whatever they had out there on them. Um, little like homemade, homemade explosives, homemade chemicals, and use them to like dive bomb troops. Um, and so I, I was really impressed with the movie's depiction of that. But I thought also, I also thought from having, you know, this, this obviously is not the first time you and I have talked about Iraq. Um, but I know how many VBIDs you guys were up against. And I think what, what they didn't, the only thing that they didn't really show was what you had just kind of talked about, which was they would armor up vehicles. So they would take like a Toyota um, Hilux or whatever and throw steel plates on the sides of it and then fill it with explosives and barrel it into uh, CTS or a, a police station or a crowd of people and then detonate it, which um, was pretty difficult to, de- to defend against. Like there's very little you can do at a 60 mile per hour vehicle that just turned a corner 50 yards from you and is full of explosives. Like there it's, it's almost virtually unstoppable. Uh, the only thing, um, kind of funny about it was sometimes those would get stuck too. Cause they were so heavy from the metal they would put on them. I've seen a few of those get stuck in the, stuck in the sand and we could just blow them up with a hellfire or something. But yeah. in the, in the streets, there's nothing you could do. So you saw these, you probably saw these things through ISR or whatever, or just with your own eyes, probably a number of times, huh? Yeah. ISR. I mean, the time I was there, probably 30, 40 of them, like, I don't know where they're making these at. Like who's the manufacturer of all these? Like they're putting time and effort. And these are thousands, thousands of pounds of explosive. Like I've seen it take blow up and take five houses surrounding it completely out, like gone. There's nothing there, but foundation. Yeah. Huge, huge explosions. Yeah. It's that was one of the scariest things is a VBID. Like they don't have technology, so they're not, we never have eyes to the sky for dropping bombs on us or anything, but yeah, that's it. The, uh, the ISIS using civilians was always horrible. You know, it was, it was one of their most, their most common and also unfortunately most effective tactics was to fill their own areas with women and children. So that way we could basically not strike them with air power, uh, until we were confident that there were no, um, no women and children. The only exception would be if you're like pinned down by fire from a, from a compound. Um, and even then you're talking about maybe getting denied the ability to do anything about it because of the civcast, right? The civilian casualties and the collateral damage. So even if there was like maybe a building, two buildings away that was full of civilians, you couldn't hit the building that they were in. Um, and they knew that really well. So they used it. And the movie depicts like civilians fleeing from the city. But you saw, you said you saw 
I, uh, civilians walking out of, Mo- so they were like fleeing Mosul is what you're saying. And like finally able to leave without getting killed. Yeah, they were fleeing Mosul. They actually, at some point they started bringing in Greyhound type buses and 30, 40 of them a day would just, people would load up at this little loading point and they'd drive them out of Mosul. And I mean, thousands and thousands of people every day. Was it, uh, was the Red Cross out there? Like who was out there supporting that? Was there like international NATO stuff going on? It was, if they were, I didn't really know about it. Um, I think it might've been a little too danger close for them. And I think more the Iraqi government was facilitating this to happen. Like the, the taking back of Mosul, I give 70% credit to the Iraqi people and the Iraqi government. Like they really came through and did it. I mean, they did. It was their people on the front lines. It was them helping each other out. I was pretty impressed by it actually. Well, that's good. You know, I'm, I'm, it's good to hear that. That's like a little reassuring, you know, when you think about what the future yeah. looks like um, of our involvement in the Middle East, you know, is maybe, maybe ISIS will have to, will be the last straw of, um, of, of terrorists taking over Iraq. And they'll be like, no, we're not doing that again. We're going to really prevent, we're going to really do something about it next time. Um, did, did, so you, you would go into Mosul every day. I'm sure you did like pretty long operations. So you would go into Mosul and what would you do? Would you hard point a structure or how would you guys roll? What was your daily, daily life in there? Like, yeah, I mean, we were strictly on a advise, assist and a company role. So we're, we're not front lines. We're not, you know, taking the brunt of it. We're just assisting, um, giving strategy and doing ISR, but we would drive in every day, hard point of building, you know, somewhere back off the front line and just help them call in airstrikes or assist them in any way they needed. Like we, the goal was to facilitate them to take back Mosul so that they can do it again in the future if they have to. Mm, yeah. That's what, I mean, everyone thinks going to Iraq, like we shouldn't be there for this reason, but we're actually trying to help them train them to be able to do it on their own. So we never have to go back. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's, it is, it's a complicated, it's a complicated terrain, you know, like, especially when people get into the, should we be there? Shouldn't we be there? I think that there's a lot of good people there who, you know, need to be helped, uh, going back, you know, before the first Iraq war even, um, and you could go back and forth on that all day. There's, we did a great episode with Jason Tushin, uh, where, you know, we get into that and I think everyone should go back and watch that. I'll link it in the description of this video when it's, uh, published. So, um, so in the movie, uh, speaking of like tactics and speaking of like Iraqis being on the front lines, one of the really, I thought like, like effective things that they did in the movie was they're, they, they take on Kawa, who's like the junior troop on the SWAT team and they're doing a building clearance and they're like, okay, turn around. We walk back to back and we clear each room as we go, go slow or else you get killed. And they're like, teaching him how to clear a building on their first mission uh, together. Live action. Live action, which is like really lends to the urgency of the situation because this movie is, it, it portrays it as they're in like the final days, the final clearance operations of Mosul. And 
would you say that the Iraqi forces out there, what were their tactics like as far as like having sound, you know, ground movements and strategies and uh, effective use of their weapons and all that? Um, I mean, I'm not going to give them high marks <laughs> on any of that by any standards. Um, but that's when I, when I say those guys were crazy, like they just got it done. Like it might not have been the way it should have been done or the way we would have done it, but they just dive in head first with a bunch of them and they, they made it happen. I mean, they, they knew their city, they knew, they knew their building structures and they knew where to come in and out and how to move. But, and it's not like Mosul was cleared in like a week. We're talking months. Like mm-hmm. they might, a day might be one or two buildings forward. Like it's a super slow process. Um, and they took a lot of casualties, but they, that's what we're there for. We're trying to train them to be better because they're, they're not where, you know, they could have been. Yeah, it is. It's kind of like, uh, you know, I, I always say in movies, like one thing that movies always seem to do strange is they have like the goons or whatever, like the people in the movie who just like run around and die and seem to have no feelings or opinions on it. You know what I mean? But it's actually yeah. kind of like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They just they just run around shooting like from the hip up over barriers like this running. Yeah, through. Like, that's a thing. That's yeah. a real shit. Oh, it's like the main way that they do it. And uh, <laughs> and then they'll like run. She'll just walk down the street like, what are you guys doing? Like, this is insane. And then you realize that like this is their city. Like what you were saying, you know, they're just like, yeah, this I do this every day, dude. What are you doing? Why are you moving all funny and walking like that? You know, <laughs> just walk normal, dude. Come on. Uh, and you do wonder like how much, you know, better they could do if they were a little more tactically sound or like, you know, seem to even give a shit, but they, they do get the job done, although it's not pretty and kind of like out of like, and and sometimes out of control and the way that like bad guys, you know, I say just like bad guys, but like, you know, the enemy will just kind of like run around and uh, and get killed. It's, it is like, like goons basically like, like a henchman, you know what I mean? And, uh, but, but one thing that this movie does, which I really like is, um, and I always say I don't like in other war movies is people don't just like get shot and die like, and then they're done. They like go into, you know, it was agonal breathing. They bleed out. They're screaming. Um, this movie does kind of show that side of it, which I do like because I think that people should see that if they are, you know, celebrating like an old, like commando or something like that, like an Arnold movie. And he's just mowing dudes down and they like take around and they just go, and they die. Uh, it's just, that's, it's nothing like that at all. And so the, what did you think about the depiction of violence in the movie? I mean, it's pretty realistic. I mean, it's a brutal, brutal place. And like you said, people, people want to live. So they don't die like that. Like you, you don't get shot once and you're dead. Like you, you have to put, you know, multiple rounds in somebody and otherwise they're going to shoot back still from the ground. Um, the violence with the Iraqis, uh, I mean, it's lawless over there. There's no, nobody's looking over their shoulder, seeing how they do things. And ISIS, obviously they're one of the most violent terrorism groups ever just kill everybody. It's, 
I think it's pretty realistic. It's a, it's a shocker in the movie, which I think it needs to be. People might understand like actually how it actually is for the Iraqi people over there. Yeah. That's what I, that's what I said too. I was like, you got to watch this because this is the closest thing to representing what Iraq or Afghanistan was like from the civilian perspective of what they were doing on the ground every day that I've ever seen that probably exists. Like there are zero American characters. There's not one. I think you see one American like uh, at the ECP and that is the only American that you see in the entire movie. Everyone else is Iraqi or at one point Iranian. And that's a good segue into uh, this other thing that I want to have where even like the movie's realistic, even in this sense, okay? So when you watch the movie, if you're not, if you never served in Iraq or Afghanistan, they're like, hey, we got to go clear the last building in Mosul and win. And they're like, yes, but definitely have chai first. Obvi- yeah, obviously. We're uh, obvi- yeah. obviously we're like some chai. chai? <laughs> uh, yeah, I would. <laughs> yeah, we're, yeah, we have time for that. Like we, we just, we just cleared two city blocks and uh, the last, you know, stronghold is over there and we got them on their heels, but this is the perfect time for some chai. And then- and He's uh, like nine. 90 seconds is what he said. I'm like, 90 seconds? Give me <laughs> <laughs> like, dang. Yeah. It's like, I remember going out there and like meeting up with the partner force and we're like, okay, we're here, dude. Let's do what we came here to do. And they're like, okay, well, the first thing, here comes a waiter. Here comes to do with a tray of chai. Yeah. And they're like, well, we're going to have this first. And I'm like, okay, I, you know, I guess yeah. I, I've done this a few times. Like I know that we are going to have chai now and like that's all that there is to it, but yeah. I can't believe it. It's not... It's not even like a plastic tray either. Like he's yeah. bringing a piece of silver <laughs> yeah, and you're drinking yeah. out of crystal <laughs> in the middle of this war-torn city. And I don't even like chai, but I've chugged down more of it than I can imagine just to be nice. And- yeah, you got to do it. Got to do it. We have a, a question from one of the people watching who said, uh, did Iraqi forces have any armored Vicks besides Humvees? So did they have MRAPs? Did they have tanks? Did they have anything else? They had... Um, some of the old troop carriers that, you know, has like the three windows on the side that you slide open. They had a couple of those and maybe one or two MRAPs, but they, they cherish those. So they never even went in the places you would want to drive one of those. They were scared to drive them because they didn't want to lose them. So they were Humvees armored. Maybe if they're lucky, <laughs> those guys are crazy. Like there's no way I would go in there. Yeah. I don't even know. Most of the windshields were just completely spider web. Like I don't, the guy must've stuck his head out the window when he drove. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure like, I'm just trying to imagine how many rounds those vehicles, cause they didn't have like a, a motor pool. You know what I mean? They didn't have like motor T shop who could like order new parts, you know? So they had what yeah. they had and that was it. Um, what was, uh, what were you guys rolling in? Cause I know when I was out there, in 2015, we were in Hiluxes too. Like we didn't have any, like the idea was to not look military. So we didn't have any up armored Vicks. We were in, we were in Hiluxes. What were you guys in? I mean, at, at this point they knew we were there. Um, we were driving Matt V's and MRAPs. I mean, that the IED threat was real. So you didn't want to be in a Hilux or a Humvee because they just don't cut it anymore. And so something big armored that can take a blast. Did Mosul have a pretty significant presence of IEDs on the roads? There were, um, the Iraqis cleared a lot of them. Like there, we had designated pathways into our route to the city and the Iraqis 
were the ones who did the clearances, but I mean, there were definitely some that we didn't know about, or there were a bunch that Iraqs, Iraqis knew about that didn't really tell us about, just like, hey, don't go that way, but we didn't know why. And it wasn't, it wasn't like Iraq in the Fallujah days where every road you had to go down had to be cleared, took like 12 days to do it, but they were definitely still there. Yeah. It's scary too, because there's probably going to be for a hundred years, IEDs blown up in Iraq, uh, like legacy, legacy IEDs yeah. that just are, you know, have been buried and forgotten about in the desert. I mean, I'm sure there, if let's say, let's say Iraq totally stabilizes, the government gets it together. They're probably going to go back to rebuild cities and have to deal with IED clearances to just rebuild a city. I mean, and then for sure they will miss a bunch, you know, there's still people blowing up in Vietnam from, uh, yeah. mines. So mines. Yeah. yeah. So you've got these 500 pound IEDs buried in the desert in Iraq and Afghanistan that are going to be there for forever. I mean, it's a huge, that's a huge problem. You know, it's a, and I think about this all the time, like just, we're so lucky in the United States for one, uh, that they don't have, nobody started burying fucking bombs in the roads. You know what I mean? Like Imagine not knowing if you could drive somewhere without getting blown up. Like that's yeah. what the civilian population in Iraq and Afghanistan has to deal with now is I mean, always what, the, the civil war is the last war on American territory. I mean, they, yeah, they didn't have things to bury then. I mean, if you step on a musket or something, you're going to be, you'd be all right. Yeah. Uh, midnight chat in the comments, who is a, another great channel to go check out says, uh, they are still finding Nazi bombs in London. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is this is a forever problem. You know, once it begins, because you've got farmers out there burying bombs, not fucking telling anybody, not leaving a map. You know what I mean? It's just there. This has been going on now for twenty years, and uh, it's and and they. I, I'm sure. Uh, I'm not a hundred percent knowledgeable on this, but when the Soviets were in Afghanistan, I'm pretty sure they had mines then too. So uh, you're talking about. For 50 years, uh, they've been putting bombs in the in the ground in Afghanistan. Um, at, by the end of the movie, um, you know, Mosul, th you've got families getting reunited, um, and the uh, you've got uh, one of the soldiers finds his wife, and she's pregnant because she had been raped by an ISIS fighter who was their treatment of women was horrible. Did you have any experience kind of freeing civilians and, and engaging with any of the civilians out there um, and what it was like for them when they when they were getting, you know, finally free from their, their captors? I mean, we were, as we pushed into the city, um, as areas were cleared, the population, some people just stayed. They're like, this is all I know. I'm staying here. Like, living in a house where the entire second story is blown up and they were nice people, friendly people. They were making us, you know, non bread left and right, which is by far the best bread I've ever had in my life. Yep. Yeah. Um, made, made from burning building from someone's stomping <laughs> their feet, you know, foot bread out there. But at the time put a little peanut butter spread on it. It's some of the best shit ever. <laughs> That's um, true. Soft, <laughs> hot and soft. Yeah. Yeah. Good. And there was a lot of kids, a lot of kids everywhere. You know, I, 
I give them my Skittles pack every day. That was kind of like my thing. Like, hey, if I get Skittles in my MRE, like I'm giving it to this kid who's probably never even seen that many colors in his life. Let alone. <laughs> <laughs> like it's only brown out there. So there's, yeah. there's no way you've seen that many colors. Yeah. And they're really nice people. So. I do. I do feel like, you know, we got to think about what life's going to look like in 30 years when those kids grow up and they're going to be the leaders of their country. You know, they're going to leave Iraq. They're going to go study in America. They're going to go study in the UK. They're going to, what, what are they going to become? You know, like how, how is the generation who survived ISIS as kids going to grow up? Like what's their life going to be like? I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I wonder about that, you know, how, how it's going to be. Um, but at least, many of those people will have a chance to grow up because, you know, thanks to you, thanks to the Iraqis who fought against ISIS out there when things got really bad. Um, can you describe kind of from the beginning of your deployment to the end? Because I know you guys covered a massive, cleared a massive amount of the city. What, can you describe what the city was like when you got there versus when you left? I mean, when I got there, East Mosul has already been cleared, which... Like I said, the Euphrates runs through the middle. Everything at East Mosul has already been cleared. So it's all, all we had was West Mosul um, and ISIS in the thousands. You know, I think they estimated three to 5,000 of them were in the city of West Mosul when we went in. And like I said, day one, we overlooked the city. Um, it was nice, like it's a nice city. Like the College of Mosul is like one of the best in Iraq. The Al-Nuri Mosque, like the fact that ISIS blew that up still breaks my heart. Like it's 2000 year old monument to this great world. And, but it was kind of desolate when we got there. Like everybody was in hiding. Any, nope. Like when we first started moving in the city, there wasn't the thousands of people every day. Like they were captured. They were basically being held hostage by ISIS. And as we pushed through these people hiding in their basements would come out and flee the city. Um, but it was a, a nicer part of Iraq. Um, it wasn't until we pushed in that they started burning everything. Uh, the burning of tires, I know you've seen, is a huge deal trying to block out ISR, which it never works. I don't know why they still do it. But they, they burned every car on the side of the road it was, it, I thought it was a nice place and sad that it took ISIS taking it over and then the effort we had to put into getting it back kind of almost destroyed the whole city. Yeah, I think a lot of people probably don't understand that Iraq is a, a country full of major metropolitan cities. Like yeah. Baghdad, Mosul, Erbil, you know, Fallujah could have been one. Uh, I'm, I don't know if it'll ever be again. It's probably nothing left, but uh, mate. Like Ramadi, you know, like these are cities. These are, these are like hard pack roads. These are tall buildings, you know, um, phones, shops, uh, internet. It's like, it has everything, uh, running water. So the, um, it's not like Afghanistan where Afghanistan is a, a lot of villages. Like Afghanistan's Iraq certainly has villages. Like you go out, like, you know, outside of Al-Assad was villages, um, outside of, the Haditha Dam was villages. It had like small urban areas, but very, very village sense with like a water tower providing the water and um, farms, people with livestock and everything. 
Um, but then you go somewhere like, uh, like Mosul and it was like urban, it was like battling in a city, you know, urban warfare uh, to, to the absolute extent that it could be. Um, mm-hmm. so to, for people to like paint the picture and the, the movie does a fantastic job of like creating that environment, especially when they're pushing into the final area that they're clearing and people are running out on the streets and they're getting shot down. Um, they're getting gunned down as they run out, which was one of the more, um, intense parts of the movie I thought was when they were trying to make their way in there and they're gunning down civilians. Cause you know, it's exactly what they did. They just yeah. would murder civilians in mass, you know, which was freaking horrible. And then they go clear the, uh, the last few buildings and, and you see a, gr- a really powerful transformation of Kawa, I think is, you know, from the beginning of the film when he's like a, a young, you know, patriotic police officer, who wants to go, you know, arrest ISIS, which like is so insane to think that that's, you know, what they thought they were going to be doing. Um, yes. when, when they were so outgunned and outnumbered and police were getting killed, every police officer was getting killed in Iraq um, to the point where they disbanded the police. And uh, and then he becomes like this, this fairly hardened uh, warfighter by the end, um, kind of, you know, he has that, that, uh, that intensity, especially, and, you know, like we said, spoilers here after Jessam gets killed, uh, by that booby trap, which is where, you know, I, I said, I love how they portray like war doesn't discriminate. you can be the most senior person with the most battles, the best soldier. And, uh, and then you grab a box and it blows up and you're dead just like that. Yeah. I mean, he's the, the part in the movie where he's just cleaning up trash. Yeah. Like that's that's what shows like that's his city like he lives there has his whole life he's just trying to pick up trash and winds up getting him killed yeah yeah it's uh it's super intense to think about there's another part where they come across these kids whose parents have been killed and the brothers are wheelbarrowing their father um and they get you know they have like a a a separation of brothers as they one wants to go like with the SWAT team and get safety and the other's like, no, I'm going to stay here and stay in the city. Um, and these are like little kids who have to live with that now for the rest of their lives. Like their parents were killed. They're orphans. They are out in the city with nowhere to go. They don't know how to, um, how to deal with, with this basically. And, uh, like that's the, that's the crazy stuff that, um, that this movie talks about that other movies don't, uh, or that people never think about is like these little nuanced, uh, they touch on it very, very briefly in the movie, which I just wish they had spent more time on it. But like the effects that this battle and these decades of war have had on the civilian population over there. What do you think? Is there hope for the next generation of Iraq chance? I mean, I hope so. I mean, they seemed, um, I mean, as, like I said, as we push through, they were already rebuilding stuff. They were already cleaning the streets and opening up their shops and selling stuff to us. And I mean, people just want to live And Iraq. I mean, there's the cities are there, but they're long distance between them. So it's not like you can just move, right. especially when you have a car and you're on foot and you have no money like money is not even a concept over there right now. It's just, everything's trade. 
I think so. It's a long road, but I hope they get it together. Yeah, me too. When you th- when, how, how, how do you look back on uh, excuse me how do you look back on that now like when you look back on 2017 2015 Iraq uh, how do you feel about it now like how do, how do, what do, what impacts stay with you kind of from that I think it's it's humbling I mean I have my daughter now and like she doesn't want to eat some of the food I give her. And I'm like, look, there's like all parents say this, right? There's people around the world that, you know, they don't have this food to eat. And when I'm telling her, I'm being serious. Like This is a serious thing. I'm like, I've seen this kid beg me for food and didn't have anything to eat. And I'm trying to explain to her of this and she doesn't get it. Obviously it's one of those moments in my life that I'll never forget. I was there, like you said, with, brothers that I'll never forget. Uh, I mean, I grew up playing on sports teams and those are your friends, but when you go through something like this, these are almost closer than family. Like they know things about me that I'll never be able to tell my family. Yep. And it's, uh, I'm glad I experienced it. Um, it gives me a sense of fulfillment that I got to help these people get rid of, you know, the terror, terror that is ISIS. And, uh, yeah, it's basics. Yeah. I, you know, you are the real deal um, of, <laughs> it's true, man, of, of all the people that I worked with at, uh, in the Navy and NSW, uh, you're one of the real ones, I would say, keeping it 100. Um, <laughs> you deployed more than anybody I know. Uh, you were always there. You always showed up. I've never heard a complaint out of your mouth, uh, positive attitude. <laughs> I loved working with you uh, in the Navy, dude. It was you're, it's, it's been some of the best times of my life. I love traveling with you. I loved having those experiences with you. I hope that you know I did a good job for you um, yeah, during Definitely. that time too. Uh, I would go back with you anytime, dude. Any to go back with you anytime. Um, somebody in the comments just said, "Seriously, fuck ISIS." <laughs> it's true. <man. laughs> so, uh, that's, uh, that's been many times. Yep, it's so true. You know you. You got, I'll just say, uh, you know, I've seen, you know, ISIS flags hanging in San Diego uh, as as a, a trophy of um, us just whooping their ass over there. I, I will say uh, from personal experience, I'm only going to speak for myself. I'll let Chance speak for himself if he wants to. But uh, we did a lot of good work to take out a lot of bad people. And even though Iraq was the tip of the, Iraqis were the tip of the spear, they were out there in the streets and they deserve all the credit in the world for that. Um, I can say the Americans over there did make a difference, a huge difference, a massive impact on clearing the battle space uh, so that Iraqis could make it possible for them to move over. And I feel honored that I could be a part of it. Like it's a, uh, something I'm really proud of that I got to go deploy over there during that time. It was like, time the best time ever to be deployed um the best conflict in our lifetime to be a part of if you weren't in the immediate post 9-11 generation my first afghanistan point was 2009 and even by then it was like i'm not sure what we're doing anymore with this counterinsurgency stuff um but it was it was very clear in iraq with isis what we were doing over there and why we were doing it and who the bad guy was and it was a great thing to be a part of and i think if, if you want to know more about what it was like, then go watch Mosul because that movie was, 
is just an incredible representation of the events over there. Yeah, I mean, it was definitely double-edged sword. I mean, with without our presence, the facilitation of them doing what they did would not have happened. Like, they didn't have the resources or the people, um, the technology to get that stuff done. And, um, yeah, I mean, as we were... I remember being in Iraq and I, I Googled something about the Battle of Mosul. And I think, not 100%, that there's still a Wikipedia page about it. And it was like live updates of what was going on there. Like February this, March this, March that. And I was like, wow, it's like this is a time that it's going to be, it's on the internet. So it's going to be there forever now. Like 20 years from now, they'll be teaching about the Battle of Mosul if not in America, definitely in Iraq. And hopefully we have a good name attached to that. I think we will, at least in the ISIS conflict. I think that we will. Um, all right, brother. Uh, we're coming up on an hour. I usually like to wrap up the show around here. I hope people had a, you know, enjoyed getting to know you. And, and I think that, you know, you're somebody people should know because you're a hero. Um, you've done a great job serving your country and, uh, and a good friend of mine. And, uh, yeah. if there's one other thing I would say about chances, he loves Ford trucks. And so if you want, if you want to know one other thing, that is the rudest thing you've ever said. About me. <laughs> <laughs> All right. He loves, you know, it's he loves Chevy Chevys. And my Cowboys. That's, that's how it goes. He loves Chevys and he loves the Dallas Cowboys and he's a great Not American. <laughs> All right, dude. Hey, if you want to just stick around um, really quick, uh, I'll hang out on um, on Zoom, and I'll be back with you in a second, and I'm just going to sign out of the uh, episode here real quick. All right, guys. Thanks for watching that. That was a great time with my buddy, good friend, brother, Chance, who uh, is just a great guy, sailor, um, who was a huge part of the liberation of Mosul, Iraq in 2017, and uh it was great to get on here and talk about the film Mosul with him. If you guys get a chance to go watch that uh, movie, I would love to hear what you think about it in the comments down below. Thanks for tuning in tomorrow, which will be Thursday, December uh, 11th uh, in the United States, Thursday, December 10th, in the United States, Friday, December 11th here in Okinawa, Japan. We are going to have another special guest on the host of another great podcast. Who's going to be talking all about, aliens and conspiracies and the military involvement in that they have a, a great show and if you are interested in in military cover-ups of aliens and uh conspiracies all re revolving around the military um tune in tomorrow for tomorrow's live show make sure you get over to the podcast and subscribe there head over to scuttlebuttshow.com pick up some merch head over to our patreon page and become a patreon um if you like this content that we're doing that would mean the world to me and i look forward to talking to you guys tomorrow I'm out for now.